Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Tonight, I want to begin my sermon or assignment by asking a question. A question that I want you to answer in your heart because it is pivotal in the direction that I feel God wants to speak to us today. And I ask you that question because it's the very thing that the Holy Spirit impressed on me as he was ministering to me concerning this message. Okay? Imagine one day a believer, and I'm not going to say you, no, but I'm saying a believer. Okay? So that's relative. It can be anybody. Is walking on the road and you have the opportunity to imagine it as far as you want to. And um, perhaps there even a pastor, a man of God, who has been born again for many years, has been in ministry for 30 years. And a big snake comes out of a thicket, a forest somewhere, and stings them, bites them. What do you think is going to be the first response that believer and what should be the first response of that believer and then imagine another scenario again of a person who's not born again he has no relationship with God doesn't know God or perhaps doesn't believe in God and is walking on the same street and a snake bites them as well what do you think is the response of a man who does not know God or what do you think should be the response of a man who does not know God. Or a scorpion. What do you think will be the response of a man who knows God or should be the response of a man who knows God or probably has even served God for many years versus the response of a man who does not know God, has never known God before? The biggest percentage, it's most likely that if that ever occurred, these two people will or could react the same way to the serpent. And that's the truth, generically. Okay? If you were beaten by a snake, how would you respond? If you were beaten by a scorpion, physical, how would you respond? If a believer went to a hospital and they told them, that you are suffering from an incurable disease, a sort of cancer that is so aggressive that you have two weeks to live, how would they respond? And if a non-believer went to the doctor as well and received the same report, how will they respond? Unfortunately, in our time, there is usually no difference of response. Usually no difference of response. And so that's where the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and he asked me, do we really, as believers, do we really understand when we say we believe in God? 
Do we really understand what it means to be children of God? Do we really understand what it means to be born of God? Do we really understand when we are called the offspring of God? Do we really believe it? Do we really, really believe it? Oh, they just checked you and they said you have COVID. How does a believer respond? Do you really believe in the healing power of God? Do you really, really believe? Now, I'm zeroing down to you personally. I'm not talking about the person that you're thinking about or the other cousin or uncle. No, now zero this camera to you. Do you really believe if a snake beat you in a house, what would be the first thing you'd run to? Hospital. Some Christians even have black stones in their houses just in case a snake bites them. Anti-venom in their homes just in case something stings them. And that passes for common wisdom in the world. And perhaps the things that I'm speaking about, if a man does not know God or barely knows God, many now at this particular point will not agree with me. And unfortunately, some even Christians who have done theology and have walked with God for 20, 30 years, they will not or could not or may not agree with me. But you see, it doesn't matter whether they agree or they don't. I want to emphasize on who really and what agrees with what I'm speaking or what we must agree with concerning the truths of God. I find Paul, the apostle, for me, one of the most fascinating creations concerning the new birth. And I know why many people say, you know, he wrote this bigger percentage in the gospel, or perhaps the many books of Paul were collected in the New Testament, and there's a reason why it was, and that is true. But not many people understand why God chose to speak to us through Paul more than any person in his day. Remember, he was not among the 12. The Bible says, it says that as, as one which was born out of time, he feels or wishes that he could have perhaps walked with the Christ and seen him, touched him, fellowshiped with him like the rest of the apostles had done. But he was not a lucky man in courts to have seen the Christ like the disciples did. But I find him so fascinating because when I started to study Paul, and understand Paul, I was amazed at the things that were revealed through this wonderful man of God. And in these minutes, I want to take you on a journey to open your eyes on the heart and spirit on this man concerning the supernatural. What does it mean to live and walk in the supernatural life of God? Paul, for me, after Jesus Christ, I have not seen a man that has set an example for me to imitate in the spirit like the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, I will read for you from uh, the Amplified Version. He says, as for myself, now this is Paul speaking for himself. He says, as for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and evidence or mystery and secret of God concerning what he has done through Christ for the salvation of men in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. I did not just speak about God philosophically. I did not just end up in human wisdom, in the lofty conversations or words of human wisdom or philosophies. I am not Socrates. And remember, before that, philosophers were ruling the world with ideas about life. But they had an end to this conversation because 
they could not communicate the end of life. They could not speak concerning life after death. You see? So, we see Paul saying, you know, when I came to you, I did not come to you with the lofty words of philosophy. I did not come like the men of that time which were giving life in courts through philosophies and human wisdoms for humanity to live. He was against the status quo and the usual way men of that time communicated. So he was not basing in the lofty words of men. He says, for I resolved to know nothing. And this is what I want to give emphasis of. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing. That means if a man tells you I resolved to know nothing, it means that I concentrated all my energies and attention to a particular knowledge. You see? Now he's trying to show us the extraordinary character of a believer. He says that I resolved to know nothing, that is to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and him crucified. That means he never invested his life, his mind, his study in anything outside Christ and him crucified. He was never conscious of anything save Christ and him crucified. He did not display the knowledge of anything save Christ and him crucified. He did not share any acquaintance of anything save Christ and him crucified. That does not mean that Paul did not know anything. It means he meant he knew a lot. Remember, he was a son of a Pharisee. He was stored under Gamaliel. He knew the world. He excelled among his peers. That means Paul was a smart fellow intellectually. And I'm not saying that that wisdom or that knowledge of the world died within him. But there was no way he could release anything of the world, anything of science, anything of Judaism. There's no way he could speak anything if it was not hemmed in Christ and him crucified. So God is not saying that don't talk about you know, politics or do not discuss education. No, no, no. He's saying if you should talk about education, it should be in light with Christ and him crucified. If you should talk about science, it should be in light with Christ and him crucified. Be acquainted of nothing and choose to display a knowledge of nothing except Christ and him crucified. Why did Paul invest himself in this? Why did he exercise all his energies in this? There's something that Paul saw. I saw it a couple of years ago and it changed my life. You know, one time I was reading the story of this great man who God called Lester Sumerov the spiritual son, I believe, of one Howard Carter, great prophet of God. I love to read about men of God. And he speaks of his encounter with uh, the man of God, Smith Wigglesworth. And, well, it's on record that no man ever had fellowship with Smith Wigglesworth like that man had fellowship. So he takes an account to speak about Smith Wigglesworth. And he says the first time they had a meeting with Smith, he comes to the house of Smith and he had a newspaper under his arm. And he gets to the door and Smith opens for him and he tells him, what is that under your arm? And he says, it's a newspaper. And he says, leave that outside my house. And so the dear man Lester puts down the newspaper and then enters in. And Lester Sumerov gives an account of how many times, severally, he sat down with this wonderful man of God and they had fellowship with the Spirit. And he tells you he finally understood why Smith Wigglesworth raised 23 dead bodies in his life. 
23 on record. In fact, in Christian history, you know, modern Christian history, he's called the Apostle of Faith. For those of you who have never heard about Smith Wigglesworth, one time they brought a man with a tumor in the stomach, swollen, sick, and he punched the fellow and the tumor disappeared. That was Smith Wigglesworth. One time they brought a very crippled, sick baby on the altar, stories given, and Smith kicked that child, boom, and the child healed. One time he prayed for a crippled person on a wheelchair, and this person failed to move and failed to heal, crippled in both feet. And Smith walks to this person and he gets her hand and pulls her and she falls off the wheelchair and starts dragging her. And when he starts dragging her, a story is given in the congregation. Somebody says, let her alone, you're hurting her. And he told him, mind your own business, I'm minding my own. He dragged that woman until her legs healed and she walked. So you could judge the aggression of the healing minister, but it was not him aggressive toward these people. It was the love that he had toward them and the hatred that he had toward the devil that he became aggressive to disease or sickness and he could not stand the presence of sickness in any man. It was actually love revealed because it's the compassion that moves the Christ and men are healed. So you would say, oh, you know, Smith was aggressive. Smith was a hard fellow. No, he wasn't aggressive to you or to men. He was aggressive to the devil. He was aggressive to disease and sickness. And imagine that kind of faith that would drag a woman and tell her, when you make up your mind to believe God, you will walk. He grabbed her and moved her and pulled her on that stage to and fro until the woman got up and started walking, until the devil realized that this man was not able to give up. In fact, Smith Wigglesworth, in his own teaching, he says that if the spirit does not move me, I move him. Oh, is that pride? No, it's not pride. He's saying that I can do it by faith. You told me with faith, I ask anything and it shall be done. So Smith Wigglesworth was an example of a man who walked and understood the faith of God, the faith of God. But Lester Sumerall in his word tells you that when you sat down with Smith, he never talked about anything except Christ. He never talked about his relatives. He never talked about his friends, his businesses. He never talked about anything. When you sat down with Smith Wigglesworth, he spoke Christ from the beginning of conversation to the end of conversation. This was a man who had been so full and filled with God that he knew nothing. He was cautious of nothing save Christ and him crucified. And no wonder we have not seen any man that has moved in the anointing and glory like Smith Wigglesworth moved into. And I learned a lesson that time, many years ago. And so when I read Corinthians and I see Paul choosing to know nothing, resolving, it was a resolution in his spirit, like you make New Year's resolution. It's funny when I find folk who have made New Year resolutions and then you find them joking in January. You understand? In February, they are out. You understand? I'm talking about that kind of, I'm talking about a man resolving with God and saying that from today, I choose to know nothing. I choose to be acquainted with nothing. I choose to display the knowledge of nothing, save Christ and him crucified. He says, and I was in past into a state of witness and fear and dread and great trembling after I had come among you. In other words, when I did this, when I resolved the knowledge of this God, when I resolved to know nothing and be conscious of nothing, I was still a man of weakness. I was still a man 
of witness. I didn't have the articulation that the best speakers had or the best philosophers of that day had. But in that very weakness, I still chose to know nothing. So he's not talking about a man who was strong, you know, in his own ability, in his own human ability. He describes his weakness in his human ability, but he comes in the strength of that God. And he says, and my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing and plausible words of wisdom, but they were, he says, in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. And he says, a proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me. A proof of the Spirit and the power of God that was operating on me in the weakness of my language, in the weakness of my articulation, in the weakness of my vocabulary, in the weakness of my idiom. I had a certain power. I had a certain anointing. I had a certain glory that was operating on my life. And every time that glory sits on me, he says, it stars in my hearers, the most holy emotions. And that's persuading them. That's how I persuaded men, Paul says. I did not persuade men because I was a great speaker. He says, I persuaded men because there was a power of God. There was a certain anointing of the Holy Spirit that sat on my life continually because there was a resolution in my life to seek to know nothing, to display a knowledge of nothing, to be conscious of nothing, save Christ and Him crucified. His major intention and life of studies, commitment of years and prayer and submission to the will of God was to the end that he might know Christ fully. And this is the result of a man who deliberately resolves to know God. Not circumstantially, oh, you know, I have a problem, let me read the Bible. Or, you know, this is a season now, I think this is happening, let me try to read my word. Or, you know, the preacher preached and he convicted me, so let me read again. You do like the guys who do the New Year resolution in the flesh, and then you read the Bible for two or three days, and then finally you go back into the same life you've been living. Paul says, I sought to know nothing. And it says in the fifth verse, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, human philosophy. Your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, human philosophy. In the science of men, human philosophy. In the biology of men. In the engineerings of men. In the interpretations of the world concerning how men think. He says, but in the power of God. That's Paul. That's why I love that man. He was not just a good preacher. No. He was a deep minister of the gospel. If you met Paul, perhaps you'd be boring as a preacher because he had very feeble language. His articulation was weak. He was not a man who had enough to convince. I think during that time, of course, there should have been fellows who knew how to speak. But Paul was not among the men you'd call speakers. Yet when they go to do miracle signs and wonders, <laughs> He's called Hermes, the God of speech. Isn't it ironic? Because they give them names. Barnabas got one and he got one, Mercurius and what. But you know, he was called the God of speech. Yet he tells you that as not a man of good speech. But when people saw the miracles at Laconia, they said, oh my God, the gods are come upon us or they are coming to us in the likeness of men, he says. The gods have come to us in the likeness of men. These are gods. And so they meant Barnabas, Jupiter, and then they call Paul Mercurius, which is Hermes, or Hermes in some versions, the God of speech. So what is that in Paul that is of weak language, has no vocabulary, 
was weak in speech, but when he demonstrates power, they call him a great speaker. <laughs> to the world is a great speaker because the Holy Spirit has a way of giving you a vocabulary. But only if that vocabulary is defined in the anointing. If that vocabulary is not defined in the anointing, it doesn't matter how much you speak, you'll appear philosophical, not revelational. And I tell you the truth that when you get to know God, you will never have a language. You will not have a full language to express exactly what you see by the Spirit. And it's only by the stirring of the anointing that you have the right words. Yes, you will feel a weakness in you and an inability to express. Yet those that hear you will say, wow, you're just a great speaker. Well, it's because they do not know that these things can only come upon you and through you because of the operation of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is called Mercurius, Barnabas is Jupiter, or in some versions, Hermes, but a man of great speech, a god of speech. He's called a god of speech. <laughs> because sometimes even simple words like let her go could become very deep speech if they're anointed. If they're anointed. So not all the best speakers in the world are necessarily good with grammar and they can construct these sentences as well. No, you know, because some of us, even the languages we're speaking are not first languages. You, you understand what I'm saying? We were born and raised in a different language. You could articulate better in a different language. So you bear with us if we don't speak the kind of English that you want to be spoken. But God says that's without excuse. That's without excuse. Be acquainted with God. Get to know Jesus Christ. He will give you a spiritual language. He will give you a spiritual vocabulary. And Paul says with this one, it does not end in what people hear to take back home. It ends in what sits in their hearts and stirs the most holy emotions. I mean, imagine somebody emotionally stirred by the Spirit. That means that when I'm talking about emotion, the stirring of the emotions to persuade men, it means that the soul agrees with the Spirit. While for some, it's only the mind agreeing with the minister. You see? It's the mind agreeing with the minister. It's important for the soul to agree with the man's spirit concerning what the minister had said. That's true ministry. If a minister does not have that, it doesn't matter how good you talk. It doesn't matter how much English or whatever language you have. It doesn't matter how much prose and poetry you add. You will never minister to the hearts of men. Because the end of that is simply a language without an anointing. But I see Paul sought to know nothing. This was one of the greatest lessons that I learned when I was growing up in the things of the Spirit. He understood that we have a life in God and that life can only be interpreted when we get to know the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians, the second chapter, from the fifth verse, and I want you to read the Amplified Version. He says, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, the Bible says he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. Who made us alive? God. We were dead in our own trespasses, slain by our own shortcomings, and God made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. Now listen, he gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him for. Think about that statement. 
What if a snake bites Jesus? What if a snake bites Jesus? What is a scorpion? Stings Jesus. What would he do? See where I'm going? God has said through the apostle Paul, this is Paul's realization that God gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life which he quickened him for. Think about it for one second. The very life of Christ. That life which was in Jesus is the life of the new creation. That very life in the Son of God is the very life which is in you who believes. And he says it's the same life which he quickened him for, which he anointed him for. You are therefore quickening. Which he anointed him for. In other words, the very anointing which was in Jesus Christ, a hundred percent dwells in a believer. Hundred percent. Not 20, not 30, not all you know where the part of the body. So when you're talking about that anointing, you're talking about the full body of Christ, but you see nobody individually can hold that. No, 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 no. He that speaketh the words of God. The Bible says when a man speaketh, when a man is sent of God, he speaketh the words of God. And to him, the Bible says, the Lord giveth him an anointing without measure. He says, he whom God has sent. So are you sent of God? If you believe that you're sent of God and you speak the words of God, God giveth not that man an anointing by measure. If you read it from the Amplified Version, he says, for since whom he has sent speaks the words of God, proclaims God's own message. God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure, but boundless is the gift that God makes of his spirit. So that means that man is boundless. That is why when Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesians, that they might know the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints, that they might know the exceeding greatness of power that is at work within them. The Amplified calls it the immeasurable, the unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power, the same that he wrought through those who believe, the same that he demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength when he raised Christ from the dead. That very power which resides in Jesus Christ is in a believer. And Paul was cautious of it. He was cautious of it. You hear him say in Galatians, he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And he says, and the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Remember, when I'm amidst you, I sought to be acquainted of nothing, to carry the knowledge of nothing, to be conscious of nothing, serve Christ and him crucified. And then he sees the mystery. Oh, 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 I am crucified. So when I study the crucifixion of the Christ, I see that I'm crucified with him. And because of that, nevertheless, I live, yet not I who liveth, but Christ liveth in me because I partake in that crucifixion. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Can you awaken to that consciousness? Can you resolve to apply yourself to that consciousness? No, that consciousness does not come because you had one son. That consciousness comes from a deliberate resolution to be conscious, to exercise yourself, to display no knowledge save of 
Christ and him crucified. And when Paul sees that crucifixion, he sees him crucified with him. When Paul sees that resurrection, he sees him raised with him. And he gives the difference between the man that was crucified and the man that now lives in the New Testament dispensation. That man that died, he says, died to sin. He died in sin because that man was a fallen person. And when he speaks of the new birth, he sees of the new man which is born in Christ and he sees this man blameless because the man which sinned actually died with Christ. When Christ bore our sins at the cross at Calvary, Paul sees that the notable miracle for humanity was that anybody who believes should see that they entered that transaction as well and died when Jesus Christ died. So the old man was crucified with Christ. So when Paul sees that life, he calls it the newness. (laughs) We should serve in the newness of life. What is that newness? This new man, born of God, does not commit sin, he says. This new man is born of the word of God, which is incorruptible. And because it's an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, this new man knows no sin. The new man, the spiritual man, has no sin, has never sinned. That is the man that wedges with the flesh, your flesh, That is the man that inherits eternal life. That is the man that goes to heaven. That is the man who is not buried. That is the man who cannot see hell. That is the man who cannot be corrupted because he's born of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. It liveth and abideth forever. So Paul now sees that if I have to die with Christ in the flesh, my real self was crucified with him in those trespasses. And then when I was raised, I was raised a new man. For if any man be in Christ, he says that man is a new creation behold the old is passed away and now the new and he says and all things are become of God which has reconciled himself to us by Jesus Christ and then now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation and now we come to you beseeching you in Christ's stead because Jesus did his own thing and now he's in us again telling you be ye reconciled to God that's the ministry of the new testament hallelujah glory to God And so we see, when Paul gets this message, he says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to be acquainted of anything. I'm not going to be conscious of anything. Christ crucified. Because that crucifixion guarantees a certain life. And that's the consciousness. So you see the man of God exercising himself. You see himself applying that consciousness in everywhere he goes. He is on a ship, it's hitting through and fro, and everybody's screaming, oh, we're gonna die. And he tells them, uh-uh, be of good cheer. <laughs> For we can lose many a thing, but none of us is gonna die. He knows what's upon his life. He crosses onto to the island of Malta, and guess what? A viper gets on his hand, boom! And the Bible says he shook it off! Hallelujah, glory to God. Oh, he just shook it off. Mata Bakota, a snake bites and he just shakes it off into the fire. And he just continues doing his business because he's conscious. Nothing can get in that body and kill it for he has the very life which is of God in himself. How can he die because of a snake bite? He just shakes it off. When he does, now the guys of the island start studying him. And they looked at him. The Bible says, when he should be swollen when he should be swollen. And after they looked at a great wire, and the Bible says, and they saw no harm come on him, they changed their minds, and they say, this man was a God. They changed their mind, and said, this fellow is a God. So, this is a prisoner. 
on his way to Rome. But there's a consciousness. There's a consciousness in his spirit that when a viper bites, he just shakes it off. Imagine that consciousness. A man is folding his clothes. Snake comes to boom. He just continues folding his clothes. Because nothing shall by any means. He says, behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And then you're talking to a Christian. They say, you have stage four cancer. You have a week to live. They start writing their will. They start saying bye to everybody. The world starts to look beautiful. They want to hug everyone. So God asks, do we really believe? He says, if you don't have that consciousness, and if in your heart you examine yourself, that you don't have that faith, resolve. Make a resolution and say that I'm not going to seek to be acquainted to display the knowledge of anything, to be conscious of anything, until you understand what exactly Jesus Christ did on the cross. Until you understand what Jesus did on the cross. Many years ago, when I started to see this thing, firstly, I repented. I repented because I examined myself against the consciousness that this man had and I realized that there was a problem with how I saw life. And since then I made up my mind to examine and exercise myself. I resolved it is a journey. I'm not where I was two years ago. I'm not where I was six years ago. I'm not where I was seven years ago. But I've realized that every time I apply myself to this knowledge, something stirs in my spirit concerning the miraculous. I visited some people recently and somebody was told that Apostle Grace was coming to visit us and the demons in them started shaking. Immediately, when they said Apostle Grace is coming, the demons in this person started shaking. So by the time I get there, they are literally vehemently shaking because they know somebody with life has come. Now, I'm not saying this to boss. I'm only saying that this is the heritage of the new birth. And this is not for special men of God. But I have seen that every time I apply myself to this thing, something in me supernatural stirs up. And I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I feel the presence. And sometimes I shake hands and people pass out. And sometimes some people cannot stand near me. Sometimes I just need to look at an individual and the power of God starts moving. Sometimes I just need to stretch my hands and the power of God starts moving. Sometimes I just even need to think that the Holy Ghost is going to move and it starts to move. Why? Because when you are conscious of the very life which was in Christ Jesus, the very life which is in Christ Jesus, let me emphasize, is he in Christ Jesus? Because now we're talking about that which has transcended from death into life and has been given a name above every name that at the sound of that name every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the Father. So that's why when Paul sees, he says, uh-uh, no, you see, this thing, this Christ we study is like a mirror. And as we behold, 
as we behold in that mirror, as we continue to look into this thing, he says we are changed. The Amplified Bible says, and all of us with unveiled faces. That's why it's important for us to unveil men when we're preaching the gospel. Because up to today, the Bible says, every time Moses is read, that veil is on the faces of men. That's why we preach the grace message. Because grace is the revelation of that life. Let's go back to Ephesians. He says, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. And he gave us, listen, the very life of Christ, the same new life with which he quickened him full. He says, it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve. He says, you did not deserve it. It's that grace which you did not deserve. And he continues to say, that is by which you are saved from judgment and it's that grace by which he says you are made partakers of Christ's salvation and verse 6 says and as he raised us up together with him and has made us sit down together giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly spheres by virtue of our being in Christ he says the anointed one we are now seated with him we are joint heirs what Christ has inherited, we have inherited. Think about it. And then tell me how HIV, HIV can make you lose sleep. Oh, cancer, oh, COVID, I have COVID apostle, pray. What, 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 what? What about those who are not born again? What are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? So you see, this is the riches of his glory. If we'll go back to Corinthians while we're reading again, he says, If I resolve to know nothing, be acquainted of nothing, to make a display of nothing, be conscious of nothing, among yourself Christ and him crucified. And I was passed into a state, and he continues to express how his language was not in persuasive words of men, and the power of God was working on him, the demonstration of power standing in the hearers, the holy emotions. And he continues to say, So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom that is of men, but the wisdom that is of God. And he says, and when we are among the full grown, listen, the spiritually mature Christian who are ripe in understanding, we do impart a higher wisdom, the knowledge of the divine plan previously hidden. Now I want us to discuss that divine plan, right? But it is need not a wisdom of this present age, nor of the leaders or rulers of this age who are being brought to nothing and are doomed to pass away. But rather, he says, we are setting forth this wisdom of God once hidden from human understanding now is revealed to us by God. That wisdom which God devised and decreed among the ages for our what? Condemnation. The Bible says for our justification or our glorification. Again, now we're talking about grace because wisdom is for our glorification. Wisdom is for our justification. It's there to lift us up into the glory of his presence, not to condemn us into darkness. You see, that's grace inviting because it takes us and elevates us to places higher every day of the self. You see? And that is why we emphasize the spaces of consecration. Because when the memory is consecrated, you die to self. And when we go to verses 10, he says, Yet God has unveiled and revealed those things through his spirit, searching diligently and exploring and examining everything, even the sounding, the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels that are hidden beyond man's scrutiny. All of these things are by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, to the end that every man, every believer who searches out will be awakened to the consciousness that actually everything that God has made for you is already available 
in you and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal those things to you so that you will walk or function in those things. That is grace because grace tells you what has already been given for you to walk into. The law tells you you're not given, so try to do it. You see what I'm saying? The law tells you, ah, you don't have this. You try as much as possible. Exercise yourself, do this, do that. Or perhaps God will give you glory and an anointing. No, 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 no. The grace of God says, I have given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You see? That's why earlier he says, what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has not entered into the hearts of men. The Bible says he has prepared for them that love him and he has revealed it unto us by his spirit. So we carry the full revelation of what eyes have not seen, what ears have not heard, what has not entered the hearts of men. All of that is inside you. All you just need to do is just study Christ. Study the grace of God that avails these things. When you do, these things will start manifesting in your life. And when they manifest in your life, they're not manifesting in your life as one who has just been given them, but actually they manifest in your life as one which had them, but has stirred themselves into the power to receive and walk in what is already available for them. That is the ministry of grace. So when we go back to Corinthians and speak of veiled faces and unveiled faces, that's what Paul is trying to say. Some people are still veiled to see that they've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness, that everything they need in God is available for them. Some people are still veiled to see that they're not under the law, but under grace. Some people are still veiled to see that it is finished in Christ. Everything that needed to be dealt with the devil once and for all, he triumphed over him, making a public spectacle of him. Now, this God looks at you already above all principalities, above all powers, and every spirit of wickedness in the world. You are above, in fact, joint heir, partaker with Christ. That's why he sees you. That's the spirit of grace. And so every time we preach the message of grace, we're actually unveiling the eyes. So it's those eyes, Paul says, and all of us, Amplified says, with unveiled faces, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, he says, the glory of the Lord, we are constantly, he says, transfigured. We are constantly metamorphosed. We are constantly by stage upon stage, get into the manifestation of what we carry in God. He says, to the very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And he says, for this comes from the Lord who is that spirit. So he says, you have it all, but I need to exercise you into walking in it. And how? I firstly need to unveil Apocalypsis to take the veil off you so you really see me for who I am and my heart toward you that my heart toward you is love it is grace it is the expression the perfect expression of my person I am love you see and as you embrace that grace as you embrace that love you find that you are invited into understanding the word in the eyes of love. You understand the word in the eyes of his grace. And he says that as you continue to behold, as you continue to acquaint yourself, as you continue to display the knowledge of nothing save Christ, as you continue to be conscious of nothing save Christ, he says the results of the anointing start demonstrating. They start revealing out of you. They start appearing out of you. Men start to notice that there's something about this woman that is different. There's something about this man that is different. Again, this thing I'm telling you, not many believers 
would pay the price for. And not because they're not able. No, the grace is available for them. But they have been so deceived that they have settled with lower lives. Every born-again believer is called for a supernatural life. God has ordained us to be synchronized to the operation of the things of the Spirit for good and godliness. There are no coincidences. You see, in fact, the Hebrew language has no word for coincidence because it doesn't exist. With God, there are no coincidences. You are where the spirit realm has led you. Everything happening in your life has an explanation of it spiritually. And if only you can learn to connect to the spirit realm according to the way of truth, you'll understand why the Bible says all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's the synchronization of the Spirit. That everything will start getting into shape for you. Everything will start reconciling. I gave an example of a story many years ago. Those of you who are probably just joined for Nero, you might not have heard it. I remember I told people from preaching. I was very tired in my body. Very, very tired. Because it was days of preaching, walking, preaching, walking, preaching, walking. So I'm driving back home and I start falling asleep on the wheel. Start falling asleep on the wheel. And some tells me, should I park? What should I do? And I remember telling God, you know what? God, help me. I'm tired. And for some reason, I remember where I was. I was just next to Pedro Station driving, you know, toward home. Home was about three kilometers away for four. And I remember I said, God, help me. I'm driving. And I pass out on the wheel. Pass out on the wheel. 100%. My whole body from head to toe, I passed out. And after a short while, my consciousness in there is awakened to the fact that I am driving and I am sleeping. And so out of that, I was scared. I just woke up and said, oh my God. And I realized that actually the car was not moving anymore. The car was on my gate at home. I cannot explain to you what happened three or four kilometers away because I remember I just blacked out totally. And the next thing, I am just on the gate. It took me so long to express this or explain this to anybody because who was to believe me? Who would understand that actually God, man, God has called us for a glory we don't even yet have a glimpse. Yet you read of stories of men like Philip who were carried out by the Spirit and he's found in another place in Azotus without a plane. There was no planes then. There were no cars then. He wasn't using a horse or a chariot, but it disappears and he appears in another place. And this is the glory for the church. It's not for special men of God. When I started to see those things, there's some that I can't even share now, but perhaps I'll share as I grow old and God prompts me to share. But there's things I have seen and these things have told me this one thing, that we were called to live a supernatural life. I have seen things in my life that some of which I don't know if I tell people they will understand, but those around me have seen some of those things. God has called us for a life higher than many people are able to believe. And we're going to see God more than ever before. Just apply yourself, resolving yourself to fall in love and search Christ like never before. It's okay what the world calls you. It's okay what the world calls you. He says it's enough for a student to be as a master. 
You see, this is consider your master. He was called the prince of demons. He was called Bezalel. So it's, it's okay for the world to call us anything because we're living the supernatural life of God. But what we cannot do is to settle and be so like the world. God said, even if you are among them, you are not of them. Refuse to be known in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for every man and woman that is listening right now that may their hearts resolve to live a life higher, in a wisdom higher, in a glory higher, in an anointing higher, in an understanding higher. May your anointing separate men and women right now for the next level of the demonstration of the power of God. I feel God is elevating somebody. I feel God is anointing somebody. I feel the power of God go over somebody right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And it is there to introduce you to a realm you never imagined existed or you thought or you could imagine but you could not fully comprehend exists. And that is all because of the knowledge of Christ in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And in there, you'll see that the sick heal that all manner of disease heals. You will not live in lower vibrations of sickness and poverty and bondage and demonic oppression and possession. God will elevate you higher into the realm of freedom where you're seated in Christ far above all principalities and powers and that you're a partaker of that divine nature and that the glory of God every day will grow on you and in you in the mighty name of Jesus. And in this anointing, the sick are healed, the bound are free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity by you simply saying, Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe he died for my sins and was raised for my glory. And tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.